Thanks so much to the band for leading us in worship this morning. Yeah, 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 that's good. If you have your Bible, I'd love for you to open that to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, we're in the middle, actually the second week of a series called Meals with Jesus, What We Learn at the Table. As we walk through Luke's Gospel, as I pointed out, if you were with us last week, when you go through the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is either on his way to a meal... He is at a meal or he is leaving a meal, which reminds me that I am in good company with Jesus because that's the schedule of most of my days as well. When we get to Luke chapter 7, we see that Jesus is about to sit down at a meal with some influential people in this community. So read with me in Luke chapter 7, picking up in verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and he reclined... At the table, and the woman and a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, and she brought an alabaster jar full of perfume, and she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with perfume. And when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. And Jesus replied to him and said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, Say it, teacher. A creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50 since neither could pay him back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? And Simon answered him, I suppose the one he forgave more. Well, you've, you've judged correctly, he told him. Turning to, the woman, he said to, turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. But she, with her tears, has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You, get, you gave me no kiss, Simon, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You did not anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loves. That's why she's loved. She loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. And then he said to her, "Your sins, they're forgiven." Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this man who even forgives sin? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The question that we see in the entirety of Luke chapter 7 is, Who is this Jesus? And though we've not walked through the chapter piece by piece, I'll give you a synopsis, a Cliff Notes version, if you, are, if you go back to the 90s with me. Uh, where Jesus' authority, we, here's what we find, it, that there's a centurion and Jesus shows that he has authority to heal. There's a widow and Jesus shows that he has authority over death when he raises her child. John the Baptist, he shows that he has authority over every aspect of religion. And here, in our passage today, our focal text, we see that Jesus has the authority to forgive sin. I don't know if you've ever been invited to a fundraiser. 
Uh, I'm typically not. I've been invited to, to two primarily since we moved here. Uh, one of those was a, a dove hunt last year. I thought I would be hunting doves. I've never really hunted doves, but I'll, I'll go and I'll hunt them. I found out that really these hunting fundraisers are more about you eating banana pudding and barbecue than they are about the actual hunt. And I'm pro-banana pudding and pro-barbecue, so I was like, just take my money, whatever you want. You can have it all, which wasn't much. Uh, another is the Pregnancy Help Center does a fundraiser every year. If you are unfamiliar, it's a fantastic ministry, and our church comes alongside of it because we want women who are in situations of pregnancy to know that there is hope outside of, of abortion, that Jesus extends his love to them, and that this ministry exists in our community to say, there's hope in Jesus, that you can do this. But every year they have a fundraiser, and the fundraiser is full of various fundraising things. There is an auction where you can bid on certain things. You can bid on tickets to Astros games. You can bid on tickets to Texans games. You can bid on tickets to Rockets games to watch Russell Westbrook not pass the ball. There are so many options when you go to this fundraiser. So let's imagine that we all go to the fundraiser together attempting to raise money for the Pregnancy Help Center to help them to care for them, to show our love for this important ministry in our community. They always bring in a really uh, gifted speaker, but imagine that at this one that we're going to together hypothetically, that they have a speaker who is better than all of the other speakers. And after everyone has bid on their tickets, and everyone has eaten their dinner, he begins to have a conversation with us about the importance of this pregnancy help center. And while he is doing so, all of us, our eyes are fixed on him. He's standing there in front of us. And out of the corner of your eye, you notice that a woman is walking toward him. You have an idea as to her reputation in our community. You know that she is not the most acceptable of people. But the more you watch, the closer she gets to this speaker who we have invited into our community. When she gets to the stage, you look into her face and you notice that she is weeping, mascara running. When she sees the speaker, he continues to give his speech. And as he speaks, she embraces him. He does not lose a beat, though the rest of the room has lost every beat. There is whispering, there is murmuring, there is all types of commotion, not from him, but from the rest of us. She has a gift in her hand for him. And you can tell by the expression on her face that she is excited to give him this gift. But you and I, we're acceptable people and we see this whole thing taking place and we are horrified. You feel bad for the man on the stage who has not lost a beat. The room is full of whispers, yet he continues to talk. When he finally acknowledges her verbally, because he's already been receiving her affection, he looks at everyone in the room and he tells you that not only does she belong there, but she is doing what the rest of us should have been beginning. When we get into Luke's gospel, we have a situation where Jesus has been invited to a meal. It's called a symposium meal from the best I can understand from church history and, and the idea of the first century. 
And at this symposium meal, you would have the invited guests from all over the community, the established, the elite, those who were respectable leaders amongst, amongst the Pharisees. Beyond them, you have others who have squeezed into the room because they would allow commoners like me and you to come in. And the commoners could sit alongside of the wall and they could listen as this established teacher interacted with other established leaders Maybe just maybe you would learn something. The peasants would show up too, but when the peasants would show up, they're listening, they're waiting, they're hoping that when the meal is over, they'll just leave some scraps at the table for them. That's where we're at in Luke chapter 7, when Jesus is sitting in the home of a Pharisee by the name of Simon, and this uninvited guest walks in. And when she walks in, the Bible uses this phrase to express who she is. It calls her a sinner. Huge word in the Bible. And, and the reason that it's a huge word for us is that we are people who have an idea as to what sin is, but there are times for us that we don't really realize that sin is part of us. This woman was different than the rest of the people in the crowd because she had a deep weight in her life because of what her sin was. So when you're in Luke's gospel, at this point in the text, we see Jesus... And as he sits there teaching at this symposium meal, and if you're unfamiliar, they did not eat at tables like we eat at. Uh, we put out a table for eight people, a long rectangular table. We'll sit there together and we will enjoy our whatever you choose to enjoy when you eat. But this, was not the t this table was not like that. This table was very similar to a, a restaurant that was one of my favorites in Chattanooga. It was a place called Tyrang. It's similar to Big Thai that we find over on Oyster Creek, except it's good. And, and when you... Uh, there's a room called... If the owner's here, I apologize. I, I love it. They, those, those rolls, spring rolls, phenomenal. So as you sit there in the room, there, there's a room called the rain room where you see water running down the walls as decor and there are mats on the floor for you to lay down on. Now here's the thing when I lay down if I eat too much I can't get up so it's a problem. But I'm laying in this room on your side. That's the idea of what we have taking place here. It's a very old idea to lay on your side and this established teacher, Jesus in this situation, has his elbow on the table looking around at the room and his feet are pointed the other direction. But his feet are pointed are pointed in a direction where a woman has cruised up on him and has sat down and she has begun to weep over his feet, to wash his feet, to do all of the things that are outlined for us in Luke chapter 7. She is pouring her tears over his feet. She has an alabaster jar that she will break over his feet. And Jesus does not stop teaching. The Bible uses the word wet here, that she wets her feet what wets his feet with her tears. It's the same word used in other places in the, in the scriptures uh, to talk about thunder showers. If you want to have an idea as to how much, how many tears she sheds over Jesus. You have this woman who is a, an obvious sinner. It is blatantly obvious to everyone by the way that she is dressed that she's a sinner by the way that she snuck into the room that she's a sinner. 
And Luke is being very intentional for us because Luke 7.34 has said this about Jesus. He is a drunkard and he is a glutton. He is a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So rather than the writer Luke undoing a misconception about him being a friend of tax collectors and sinners, he runs towards it. And as he runs toward that, he's emphasizing and showing to us absolutely how important those who were sinful were to Jesus. This is to the extent Jesus would go. We have this uninvited guest here who wants to worship Jesus, meet with Jesus, show affection for Jesus. But as she does so, everyone's attention is turned to her because she does not belong. Have you ever felt like you didn't belong? Have you ever felt like what you were doing set you apart from everyone else? Or more importantly, what you had done set you apart from everyone else? Do we see the depth of our sin? Do we see the weight of our sin? The Pharisees in the Bible were this religious leadership group. I sang songs about them when I was a child in church where the Pharisees were not so fair, you see. Anyone get that? I was just pithy. And they were actually this political group that believed their nation must cleanse itself from sin in order for God to bless them. In order for God to restore their land and in order for God to make his presence known. So they extended all of these rules and all of these rituals and they took what we find in the Old Testament and went even further than what the Bible had prescribed to tell people who were sinners that they were not worthy. They were whispered about behind their backs. They were looked down upon by others. Now everybody in the society is a sinner. Everyone is a sinner. But they had even divided what sin was. There was the idea of acceptable sin an unacceptable sin. Respectable sin, if we've ever found an irony, and sin that was not respectable. Look, whenever we read Bible stories, we've got to be really careful not to read ourselves out of it. Because if we don't find ourselves dividing sin, then we're in the place of the Pharisees. That we would look at people and we would see them and we would say that their sin was acceptable or unacceptable. We see this story of Jesus and we see him, this woman meeting him, washing his feet. And as she washes the feet of Jesus with her tears, this uninvited guest, something takes place. As it ta- as, and we see that actually in Luke chapter 7 verse 39. When the Pharisee saw... When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, This man, if he were a prophet, he would know who and what kind of woman this is. Who it is that's touching him. She is a sinner. And the thing about Pharisees, because of their views of acceptable, unacceptable, respectable, lack of respectable sin, they believe that they should divide themselves from those unacceptable sinners. And in this sense, what they were doing was, they were hoping to say that to everyone who viewed them, these people are unlike us. We're different. And as you hear him say this about Jesus in verse 39, you can almost hear a sense of pious 
pity for this new upstart teacher. Because this woman is a woman of the city. And we don't know exactly what her sin was. People like to read into this passage. And there is are definitely things that we can look at and line up and we can see that there is something to be some possibly this is some type of sexual sin. But we don't know that for sure. Uh, most people have understood this to mean that she's a prostitute. We can't be certain, but what we do know is that she is obviously sinful in the eyes of everyone who happens to be looking. She is the worst of the worst. She's not a great person. I was with my kids in the car the other day. We're driving down the road. We begin to have a conversation about the new Aladdin movie. Did anyone see that this summer? It came out in May, Aladdin, and it was a live reenactment because Disney, they care about fan service and making bazillions of dollars. And when they made the new movie, there's a, the genie character. Anyone remember the genie from the 90s? A big, popular, okay, we can interact with me. It's okay. And if you do not remember Aladdin, then we've really got to work through some things together. But you have the genie in Aladdin, and my son, when he watches the movie, said, I like Will Smith's genie way better than the one in the old cartoon movie. Now... The one in the old cartoon movie was played by, by Robin Williams. At that point, I stopped on 2004 and made him get out of the car and walk home. But think about the lines from Aladdin when Aladdin's running through the streets. He said, everyone's talking about how, him. He's singing about how he's unacceptable. And you hear the voices of those in the city saying, riffraff, street rat, scoundrel. Take that. Simon's saying that about her. He's thinking what everyone's thinking. She's not supposed to touch a rabbi. And Jesus is letting him touch her. So that means that Jesus is not a real rabbi. Women were supposed to be passive in public. They were not to go up to men and begin conversations with them. They were to keep their hair up. Wearing their hair down would have made them a le- would have easily labeled them as sinners. Women were not supposed to touch men, and known sinners were to be stayed away from. For the Pharisee who looks at her, he says she's the problem. She is the reason that Romans will not leave our land. She is the reason that we have not made Israel great again. She is the problem in and of itself. She would be untouched. No one would have a conversation with her. She was the worst of the worst, this uninvited guest. But we learn a little bit about him. He's an ungracious host. You notice that in the text. In verse 40, Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, well, say it, teacher. Teacher's passive-aggressive. It's an insult intended to put Jesus in his place. You would not call any other rabbi a teacher. Teacher is a lesser title. So while Simon has invited Jesus into his home by not calling him a rabbi, he's calling him out in front of everyone who happens to be listening. And remember, there are those who love Jesus who are there, and there are Pharisees who are there, and for both of them, this man has just insulted Jesus in full. So this is where Jesus gets to defend himself, right? 
That's what's going to happen right here. The ungracious host has, has pointed out to Jesus by his body language, by his thought, that this woman does not belong. Jesus sits there and it says that he knows what he's thinking. Because you can tell what Simon's thinking because everyone else in the room is thinking that. It's what you would be thinking if that were taking place on this stage right now. Why is she there? How's he letting that happen? It's not just what you would be thinking, it's what I would be thinking. And I would begin to try to distance myself from this unacceptable behavior of this woman. No! Someone get her. I would have security. Take this lady out. Jesus is going to defend himself. He's going to show us that he does not approve of this wretch. A creditor has two debtors, Jesus says. One owed 500 denarii, the other owed 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them is going to love him more? Jesus does not distance himself. He actually shows that he's closer to that woman than anyone even knows. He tells a story to connect himself and his identity with hers. In the same way, friends, that he is happy to connect himself with our identities too. Because while the Pharisees loved to decide, divide between what sin was right and acceptable and what was wrong and improper, Jesus does not do that. And every one of us needs Jesus to meet us, to receive us, to welcome us. Simon said... I suppose the one that he forgave more? You don't trap Jesus. You don't hope to contain Jesus. Jesus is unstoppable. He is unflinching. You've judged correctly, he said. And then he begins to talk about everything this woman has done. The underappreciated gift of this woman. Turning to the woman in a room full of Pharisees, in a room where the walls are more than likely covered, in an open space. Do you see this woman? That is the most ironic question that he could ask because everyone's been watching her at the expense of hearing what he's been saying. Yeah, we all see her, Jesus. I, I entered into your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she, with her tears, she has washed my feet and she has wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she's not stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, olive oil, but she's anointed my feet with perfume. See, once you're invited into a home in the Bible, a few things begin to happen. They're supposed to happen if you're welcome. Uh, the host would place his hand on the guest's shoulder and give him a kiss of peace. Now, we don't do that now. If at any point a life group offers you the kiss of peace, please just let, let us know. We'll deal with them and talk to them about their improper behavior. But, but you, you see this in the Bible. That it, that's what they would do. A kiss of peace on, on each cheek. And... Uh, both cheeks. There was a mark of respect which was never omitted. If you're a distinguished rabbi and you come in, that's what you get. 
But that didn't happen with Simon. So because the roads are dusty, and you know roads are dusty in the Bible, uh, they're wearing shoes, and they're just a sole with leather straps around the top of their, of their ankles. There's something there for you to wash your feet, but that was not offered to Jesus from Simon. His host was not great at all. And then if you get to this house, because they didn't have showers and bathing wasn't a common practice... When they would sit down at your dinner table, you would make sure that you put some type of perfume on them so they wouldn't stink. But this wasn't offered to Jesus at all by Simon. When, when Simon received Jesus, there's obviously no welcome. There's obviously no one there to care for his, his feet, his weary travel. There's no one there to help him to smell better as he's about to give this presentation. See, you see that Simon in the passage, he's the host, but he's not really the host. Jesus shows us who the real host is in this passage. It's this lady. It's this lady who gets how important Jesus is. Jesus has just said to him, Simon, I am in your house. But this lady, she's been my host. Because she gets who Jesus really is. I must confess to you that there are days for me where I can take for granted who Jesus really is. Where I have oversight and short sight and misunderstanding of the depth of what Christ has done for me. And in the moment of truthfulness, I hope you would be honest with someone and say that you deal with the same thing too. For those of you who are believers in Jesus... That when we look at a passage like this and we consider who this Jesus really is, that we think about when's the last time that, that I was moved by the story of Jesus and the salvation that he offers. This lady did not even know how that salvation would be offered. She just knew and she understood in some way that this happened to be the Messiah that everyone's been talking about, waiting for, anticipating. For me, this week was one of the moments that God reminded me of who he really is. I'm, I'm, I meet with a group of guys every Wednesday. We're going through the book of Genesis together. Not just Genesis. We're going through multiple chapters in the Bible. And as we're in Genesis chapter 12, I'm looking at the story of where Abraham offers up his son Isaac and God... Rep- God provides replacement sacrifice. And I've gone over that story hundreds of times, just like you've gone over similar stories hundreds of times as a believer in Jesus. But somewhere in the midst of that, the information of what God had done, it came underneath the transformation that God was providing in it. And just thinking about that story by myself as I read through the text and with these guys as I read through the text, chills of the goodness of God and His gospel kind of overcame me. When's the last time that happened for you as a believer in Jesus? This lady, she gets it. 47, therefore, I tell you, her many sins, they've been forgiven. That's why she loved much, but the one who... Then Jesus looks at her and he says, Your sins, they're forgiven. This is a problem because nobody's supposed to be forgiving sins. But this guy, who's not even really a, a really respectable rabbi, who we're trying to show up, has just told this woman that she is forgiven of her sins. 
Who is this man that says that he can forgive sins? Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Do you notice, though, that there's something to be said here in this text about what a real host should look like? A real host looks like someone who has really experienced the Messiah for who he is. As we look at her story, we see that we don't need a big house to be hospitable. We don't need a large bank account or we don't need to have an over-the-top personality to really receive Jesus. We need to have a heart transformed by Jesus. We need a heart that's been set free by the grace of God shown to us in Jesus. We need to see that our heart in Christ has set us free to love other people. That we are shaped by what God has done and that affects the way that we care for the people that God cares for. And we would never mix those up. Our care for God should shape the way we care for others. So when we think about who we are as a church and how we consider hospitality, I just want you to think today, we we have an opportunity today to be hospitable towards kids in our community. We're offering a a dodgeball tournament at BCS. There is nothing super special about dodgeball. As a matter of fact, dodgeball is awesome in the spiritual sense because you get to see kids punished. Because that's kind of part of what happens there. But there's a beauty in the people of God sitting down and caring for those in our community regardless of where they come from faith-wise. What if God gives us conversations that have gospel impact? We we think about this light the night and we have conversations about what it means for us to show hospitality as a church, what it means for us to care for our neighborhood. Jared even prayed earlier that we would care for our neighbors and the nation. What's that mean? That means that we see the good news of Jesus is important for a church-saturated culture. Because we live in a world where there is religious and there is irreligious. And Jesus says there's more than that. There's repentant. What if people turn to Jesus? Not to religion. You can get religion anywhere. You can get that on a podcast. You can get that on every channel of television. You can get that on Netflix specials. You get repentance from Jesus. He enables you to do so. She comes to Jesus with this expensive jar to meet with him. And Jesus says to her, go in peace. Now that's a phrase that we've probably not thrown around a lot. But I don't think we fully get the impact of the actual wording in the original language. I didn't. I was talking to a friend about it the other day, and this friend was sharing with me that this doesn't really say go in peace. That's not how the words break down, because that's a phrase that you use at funerals. Go in peace. Go in peace. You've come to do this. Now you can leave. Go in peace. This actually says go into peace. Do you see the difference? One of those is about death. The other is about living a new kind of life. Friends, I just ask you today, are are we people who are cordially and respectfully and even responsibly living acceptable Christian life? In the sense that everyone in Brazoria County claims to live an acceptable Christian life. Or when we are interacted with, Do people see and interact with those who are going into the peace that God has offered us in Jesus? Walking in light of and in unison with God himself through the shed blood of his son on the cross. 
We go into peace because Jesus has said, your sins have been forgiven. Her sins were forgiven before she did any of this because she got who Jesus was. This was her worshipful welcome of Jesus. And worshiping Jesus shapes the way that we treat others. Friends, I'm going to invite you this morning to to bow your heads. We're going to sing. Uh, And maybe as we sing, you would respond a little differently. Maybe you would think about what Christ has done for you beyond taking it for granted. There's no need for us to just be respectable religious people. There is great need in our community for us to be people who get what repentance is. Broken over our sin, but made whole by Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the chance that we've had to meet with you. If you're here and you've never trusted Christ as as your Savior, we would love to talk to you about that. You've got a couple of options for that. One, I'm in the back corner of the room after worship every Sunday. Back right-hand corner for me, left-hand corner for you. If you've never trusted Christ, please come chat with me. If that's not your thing, maybe you're an introvert and you're not sure what to do there, here's the good thing about what God does. He works beyond this room. So you've got that card. Just let us know to touch base with you about what it means to follow Jesus. About what it means for you to trust in Jesus. If you're here as a believer and you need to take certain steps, maybe you're here and you've never been baptized, but you would like to talk to us about being baptized and what that means, come talk to us. Let us know on your card. We have a baptism service celebration coming up in a few weeks. We'd love to be part of that with you to walk through what it means for you to belong to Jesus. Lord, we thank you for this morning and we thank you that your word is true. We thank you for the great debt that you have forgiven us from. We thank you for being a good God who loves us well. So let us see sin for what it is, but let us see you as a Savior who is greater than that. We ask it in your great name, Jesus.